0: Back again after some technical difficulties. Difficulties. See, I can't even say it, spit it out. That's all the the difficulties. Mikey, <laughs> how you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, Coach John?
0: I, I'm making it, making it a little stranded over here in the, That's
1: uh, in the Philippines. That's all we can do. That's all we can I do. I know
0: it. But thank God for technology. Happy to have uh, my good friend. And uh, again, you know, I can't say it enough. Uh, someone that you know whose voice uh i value so much in my life someone i consider a mentor and a good friend even though he's a laker hater uh <laughs> uncle harris <laughs> Rob like harris a warrior lover, <laughs> <a> warrior lover. <laughs> okay lover. Okay. Not hate it's not hate <laughs>
1: Now, now is this a long time warrior lover or a recent lo- uh warrior lover
2: no, no i I've, I've always i've always liked them um okay I'm, I'm a I'm I'm more a player um guy. I like players uh than a team. So when I was younger, uh I loved the Sixers because of Dr. J. And yep. I like LeBron. I like LeBron. Um, you know, so I I will put it that way. But I'm a I'm a Steph Curry fan. And uh I live in the Bay Area, so I I like the Warriors. Uh so Rob grew up. Is for- Grew up in Virginia, man. You uh, grow
0: up there? What were your team following? I
2: was I Growing was uh, I, I was a uh, Sixers fan. Um, you know because uh, and and remember Dr. J. And, and, well, I don't say remember you guys wouldn't, but uh, Dr. J was originally a Virginia Squire. That was a ABA yes. team. ABA team. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and so I actually saw Dr. J um, at the Hampton Rose Coliseum. Um, was the most dynamic player I'd ever seen in my life. I'd never seen anybody fly like that. And then uh, the ABA got disbanded. Uh, he became a New Jersey Net. And then he became a Philadelphia right. 76er. But um, I liked the Sixers uh, before he joined them. And uh, because I... Uh, I had members of my family that liked the Boston Celtics, and I couldn't stand them. And so, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I liked the Lakers. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, there were teams that I liked and teams that I didn't because there were players I liked and players that I didn't. And uh, I just never have liked Boston. I just don't.
0: Uh, <laughs> um, uh, good. That That's yeah. good. That part, yeah, that's a good thing.
2: (laughs) And so I like I like the Lakers at different times. Uh, I like the Bad Boy Pistons at certain times. Mm -hmm. I like Chicago when they had uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was I liked him in North Carolina, and then I loved him when he went Mm -hmm. to uh, Chicago. And uh, so yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, well, you're—I mean—you're also a big Raider fan. Oh, now, was that were you a Raider fan in the day, from, like like from, you know, John Madden
2: and all those guys? From the beginning, yeah. Okay. I, I'm I'm contrarian by nature, so uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I like I like going against the grain, and you know, the whole mystique of the Raiders just reminded me of the black experience. You know, you're silver and black. Nobody likes you. You know. Yeah, you, know, you walk down the street and people look at you and kind of wonder, you know, if you're a bad guy. And the Raiders exemplified that. And you know, yeah. So yeah.
0: Did, well, I mean, when you talk about that, like growing up, was that did you have other friends too who I identify with the uh, Raiders in a oh, similar absolutely. way, or was no, it just absolutely. you? Absolutely. Okay.
2: Absolutely. No, I, I a few of my friends were Raider fans. You know, for that reason. Plus. Mm-hmm. Mark, da- uh, Al Davis was, um, was really on the cutting edge of, uh, of the, of civil rights in terms of, um, you know, at one time they had, uh, the AFL at that time, um, they had a, a, a big, uh, you know, their, their championship or their all-star forgot what it was, I think it was their championship and it was down in new Orleans and the, uh, Uh, some of the hotels down there wouldn't let the black players um, stay in the hotel. So he took the team, he took the team out of the tournament. He said, we're not going to participate. And, um, and so another major hotel down there made accommodations for the black players to be able to um, stay in the hotel with the rest of the players. And uh, that was Al Davis, you know, so, uh, you know, he had Al Davis had the first black head coach, the first Latino head coach, um, first woman uh, in the front office, and Amy Trask. Um, he's just been an innovator uh, in, in terms of that kind of thing. So, um, you know, at, at, at the Raiders have, have, uh, have always been a leader in that regard. So, yeah.
0: Well, You know, one of the things when you are talking, I was thinking, you know, there's like, as we've talked over the years, there is, um, you know, a a thing that always comes up with me is that, you know, there's, you grew up in a time and have also lived a life, you know, um, being black and growing up, you know, where you did and in the time that you did that like you know, we know nothing about in the sense of even like you say, like, I don't know that about Al Davis, about the Raiders, as far as like, um, you know, him, you know, pulling them out of the games and, and things like that, where there was a time when in that time, were there sports figures that you looked up to because they were speaking out and, you know, things like that, like, was that something that also drew you to uh, two players as a fan and as a follower of them because of how they spoke out and the stand? Absolutely.
2: Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was one of them. Um, you know, he, he spoke out uh, in terms of, of, you know, racial injustice. Uh, Jim Brown, uh, famous running mm-hmm. back. Uh, and of course, Muhammad Ali. Um, was one of my big heroes coming up, um, right? You know, but uh, there was also you know one of my dads. You're talking about a generation before me. Um, you know, my 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 dad was a was a huge fan of Jackie Robinson. You know, broke okay. the barrier in baseball. But a lot of people don't remember a guy named Kurt Flood. Kurt Flood. Was yeah, a,
1: played for the uh, Cardinals.
2: Yes, Kurt Flood. Um, was one of the first ones to say that um, a player should be allowed to be a free agent and not be, Mm -hmm. and not be hemmed in by um, a baseball team or any sport team saying that um, they owned him or they owned his rights that after his contract was up, he should be able to play for whoever he wanted to play to. And as a result, um the teams blocked him from being hired by anybody and he sued him. Wow. And he won. Even though he won the lawsuit, he still was uh you know pretty much blackballed. But wasn't that but the part of, of free agency? Yes. Yeah. He was the one who actually ushered in free agency. But his name isn't isn't mentioned, you know what I mean, a lot. You know, he not a lot of not a lot of people these days talk about Kurt Flood, but he was a black guy, yeah so mm-hmm. um you know yeah there, there are there are a lot of uh a lot of guys that I look up to in terms of men just being themselves and and women too um althea Gibson Brett. and you know and then there's just a lot of them man,
0: yeah, you know when um you know I think of especially now at this time and and but this has just been, like, a theme with me probably in the last, like, three years or so. Kind of seeing, like... I, I mean, I grew up easy, man. I'll be honest with you. Like, I never... My my parents, you know, worked hard. But they didn't really, like, show us, like, if they were struggling or stuff like that. Right. I, um, You know, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's my attitude or whatever. But I don't... I, man, I, I grew up easy. And, and sometimes... You know, I don't realize, like, uh one, like, what my parents went through coming, like, as immigrants, right? But also, like, when we talk, you and I, I realize, like, a lot of what um I experience and what even, like, other immigrants experience, like, coming to the United States is the the good things and the positive things have so much with the things that we experience have come from things that you experience the hardship that like kind of you experience like I mean you told you used to tell me about like you, you going through uh like um segregated schools and that that changing I mean like <laughs> I never had to I never had to do that. You yeah. know you know what I mean I, I know because you mean. of you know what came before us and even before like you know when my parents came and things. Things like that. I mean, you know, that, I, I don't know, man. I mean, like, what was that like? Um, it was, we talk about, go ahead, Rob, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: It, it was crazy. Uh, it was absolutely crazy. And I. you got to understand, um, you know, from my end, looking back, looking back at it, I, I came to a realization that uh, the prejudice wasn't just one-sided. I mean... Um, I was prejudiced also, um, growing up and it wasn't because my parents didn't teach me, try to teach me something different. It was because I had influences on me at the time who were trying to help, uh, who were trying to persuade me to be, um, you know, prejudiced towards white people, which I, which I became, but it's not like I didn't have a lot of help. Right, (laughs) I was surrounded by, um, segregation at the time Um, and so um, I'll give you an example of uh, just what my neighborhood was like uh, when my daughter who was 12 years old at the time um, when we were living out in California and she wanted to go spend um, Christmas on the east coast with my parents uh, by herself and she's 30 now. So, um, you know, that, that wasn't actually that long ago, relatively. Mm-hmm. And, um, so she went to the East coast, um, you know, by herself, you know, we set up the thing so that the, you know, the stewardesses would hand her off, you know, off the plane and everything. And, um, so my parents picked her up, drove her to their house and she had been there about, I don't know, maybe four or five days. And she whispered to me, she said, over the phone, she said, Dad, it is so weird. And I said, what? She said, where are all the white people at? And I just <laughs> I started laughing because I, I had forgot about the fact that my, my parents live in an all-black neighborhood.
1: And
2: <laughs> it had been all-black all my entire life. I mean, it had never changed. Wow. Um And so when she went to the grocery store, she saw nothing but black people. Um, When she went to church with them, she saw nothing but black people. Um, And the neighborhood was nothing but black people. And it was so foreign to her. Um, And it it just made me thankful that she wasn't raised that way. She was raised out here in California. And we have, you know, the Rainbow Coalition out here. You know, it's just... Um, on my street, there is every nationality and race and everything else. You know what I mean? It's international. Yeah. Street, so,
0: uh, absolutely. I, I think I think that's another thing that I, I look back at my experience. Like you know, Mike and I, we grew up in California, right? You know, we grew up in schools where, like, I mean, a lot at least, like in the elementary schools, like almost everybody was represented fairly equally as far as like. You know nationalities, ethnic backgrounds, and stuff. So, I mean, in some cases, it looked like there's more like brown and yellow people rather than white people. You, right. you know what I mean? Like right. because we're all equal. If we're all, you know, but it's just uh, and, and you don't know if you grow up your whole life in one part of the U.S. They're like it's different. It's different in other places. Uh, you know, it's
2: very different. I mean, I my first six years. Um, to sixth grade, um, my first six years of school, uh, I was in an all-black elementary school. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't pay attention because when you're a kid, you don't know better. But all of my math books and English books, you know how you have the pages where there are quizzes and then there are tests at the end of each chapter? Um, the answers would be filled in in pencil, you know, or they would be... Yeah. Or well, they would be like scratched out, you know what I mean. You erase your marks, and the books would be written in. You know, I, I just thought, you know, it was because the kids before me had done that. You know, um, there would be pages missing out of the books and stuff like that. So you had to ask your neighbor, hey, what's on this page? You know, and they would they would tell you, you know, or the teacher would have a have a student go copy that page and give it to you, and so you'd have a book with this with this big, regular size page, you know, on page 253, you have a regular type written size page in your book. You know? <laughs> uh, and uh, with that page in it, you know. And, and you didn't think nothing of it. That's just how things were. And I never saw a new book. I mean, ever. It was always, always had used books. And so in the seventh grade, um, the, the the Supreme Court forced Um, integration in Virginia and so in the seventh grade I I was forced to go to an integrated school for the first time and I got new books for the first time and then it hit me hey these white kids have always gotten new books and my my books were always (laughs) tore up because I was downs, you know and it made me so angry man I mean I was just so mad and um, I got this new book and I'm looking at it. And it's got that new book smell. And I was like, this is so wrong, you know? And yeah. my first five days at this new school, we had riots every day for the first five. Days. Uh,
0: so, I mean, when you say riots, like what was, I mean, what did that look like? Like, for, uh, I mean, kids, if, young if people? If you
2: were a black kid and you went in the bathroom and there were four white kids in there, they jumped you. And so hey, seventh grade. Yes. And so if there were five of us black kids and a white kid came in there, we beat him down because one of our friends had gotten beat. And so by the end of the first day, there were just fights all over the school and the, oh and my the cops were called. And this was citywide in the high schools in the junior high schools in the elementary schools. And they shut it down. <clears throat> and then the white parents were like, this is what we were afraid of. You know, this isn't going to work. And so then they they started school again, and they had, like, cops there. And so nothing happened. As soon as the cops left, the fight started again. I remember this white lady bought a, a, a German Shepherd for school with her kid, saw us, and immediately sick the dog on us. So what? Wow. Yeah, we ran to the bathroom and shut the door. <laughs> And we heard the dog scratching on the door, and then we heard a teacher or somebody tell us she had to hold her dog, and she said, um, those N-words, you know, beat my son yesterday, you know, and we didn't, we didn't even know the kid, you know, but um, that's how it was the first, the first week of school, my first week of school was that way.
0: How was that year? I mean, did it progress? Did it? I mean, because
2: you had you had uh, you had isolated incidents all year. Uh, white kids on one half of the cafeteria, black kids on the other, um, and at, at at sporting events, uh, black kids on one half, white kids on the other half of the gym. Um, you know, it was just it was just a segregated. School within a school, you know what I mean? That's, that's just how it was, and, and you try not to go anywhere by yourself because okay. if, if the kids found you, they would jump you, you know. And so you always went somewhere with a buddy. Um, and the least little thing—if if a white kid called me the n-word, I hit him. Right. And, and the same thing—if I called a white kid something, he would—he would hit me. I mean, he just did not you didn't stand. Yep.
0: Yeah. When you sharing that at seventh grade, I'm thinking Judah just finished the second grade, my oldest boy. And uh, yeah, man, I can't imagine him. You, you know what I mean? Like I it's, it's, it's uh you, you talking to me. I can't, it's so hard for me to imagine myself in your situation because I've never experienced anything like that. And then I think of, my son who was in this seventh grade and like, you know, I mean, he's in a, I mean, he goes to a, a school in a small town, which um, I would, I would, it's a good mix of, 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 different kinds of people, but it's just a small town. And like, I mean, there's all kinds of, I could never imagine that, right, you, you know, but that was a regular, I mean, thing for, for how long, I mean, as things like uh, transition did that, you know, you said something about uh, not going somewhere by yourself, right? And is that outside of school? Was that a, a thing well, too, or because you were in your own neighborhood, or how? Well, you got to that... remember,
2: I was, I was in my own neighborhood, so that that didn't translate outside. Now, when the mall, you know, when the malls, and when you were going to the mall, of course, you were with your friends. Um, you didn't go to white areas by yourself or, or there was a chance that you, um, you could get hurt and, yeah. and white people didn't come to our neighborhood for the same reason. So, and you didn't get in trouble with the police. Um, there was, uh, one time we were at a, I was at a basketball game with, uh, I was at a, a, a basketball game with a, with some friends and there was a fight broke out, um, and uh, I was a part of it. And me and a white kid got thrown in a police paddy wagon. And so we're, we're in the paddy wagon. And um, they threw an undercover white policeman in the paddy wagon with me and the white boy. Now, when, when me and the white boy were in the paddy wagon together, we both were sitting there looking at each other really hatefully at first. And then it began to dawn on us that we both were in a lot of trouble. And he said, man, my dad's going to kill me when I get home. I said, yeah, mine too. And we both looked at each other and just kind of started laughing. Now, at that moment, we weren't black and white anymore. We were two kids that were both going to go home, and more than likely because at that time, you got beat with a strap <laughs> we were going we to go, we were going we were going to go home and get hit and we both knew it and probably some punishment you know so you know we we were, we were two we were two kids who were in trouble and we had a common basis and there wasn't any hard feelings towards him he didn't have any hard feelings towards me you know we were in the same boat the police let this cop in, and they shut and locked the, locked the paddy wagon door. And the, and the, the paddy wagon was just, um, uh, you know, it was like a van with a little cage window in the back, you know. <laughs> and <clears throat> nobody can see in there. He grabs me by my throat, and this is a grown man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 15 years old. He grabs me by my throat and slams me up against the back. And um, he says, he calls me the N-word, and um, he says, white is right. He says, say it. And, um, of course, I said something um, (laughs) that I can't repeat here. (laughs) And, again, he told me white was right. He took his gun. And he hit me on the side of my head with it. And he said, if you don't say it, I'll kill you in here. And the white kid goes, come on, man, leave him alone. He slaps the white kid and says, little punks like you are why these so-and-sos feel like they can do anything they want. And then he tells me, he says, say it. And so i scared out of my mind. But at at that moment and I can clearly remember at that moment there was a searing hatred that entered my heart for white people. And that did not go away until I uh, until later on in life. Um, There were a series of events that changed my heart. White people, but it stayed with me a long time. And, uh, no, I could I, not, I could not wait to get out and and uh, take take it out on some people because I couldn't do any, I couldn't do anything to him. Right, but that's, the, that's but that's the kind of hatred and anger that you see happening right, right now on your TV screen. That's um, right, yeah. and and people say, well. Why are, why are people acting like this? Well, <clears throat> part of it is just hooliganism. I mean, let's call it what right. it is. Um, there are people who are just taking advantage of this to loot and to steal. And they're wrong for that. But there's another side of it. And the other side of it is, after a while you get so frustrated at being treated unjustly that you lash out. Because it's it's the only thing you have. You don't have the power to do anything else. And nobody's listening to you. And this is a way of being heard. This is the way that a community can be heard. Um, And Colin Kaepernick puts his knee down and says, this is because I want to bring attention to police brutality towards black African-American men. And people say, well, this is the wrong time. This is not the time or place to do this. And right. You're disrespecting the flag, and you're disrespecting yeah. um, the troops by doing this at this time. So the question becomes, well, when is the right time to do it? Right. Um, and yes. when are you going to listen? And, and apparently people aren't listening. So I'm hoping this time people will listen.
0: Yeah. I I mean, it's just, it's, it's nuts, you know, because, and I say that because it's not my experience. Right. So like, it's mind blowing. Right. You know, when you, when I hear this story and you see all the repeated stories, just that, you know, now that we have social media, now that there are things that you, you see you, what I'm saying and hear you I mean, many things are the same. No, I mean, you, I mean, in the sense of like, in the, like when you hear it, you've experienced that. Yes. When you see it, you've experienced yes. that. Yes. You know where some others, like I'll be honest with you, like growing up when we study U.S. history, we say, "Oh man, that stuff happened back in the day, and it's good; it's not happening now." You, you know what I yeah. mean? And We we. I thought that you know, growing up you, you think that and you you have we all especially you know if you're if you're um you know people of color you experience and, and anybody, you know, people experience like prejudice. But what you're talking about is something way different than you know, someone being um unfamiliar with me and not knowing how to, you know, talk to me or something, than people like violently like forcing you like to say man what white is right you you know i mean that's crazy you know to me to me you know and to see here like when you're at a point like it's crazy when you told the story you know you think i i kind of think it's going one way where you're like oh i see that we're the same with this kid and it was but then this next right in that next minute another thing happens that where it could have been, you see a commonality. Now you have like you said, a started that that hatred to build up. And you, man, Rob, I'm I'm that that's just crazy that that happened. And I mean,
2: well, he, well, there was yeah. well, there was a bridge that was being built between me and that other kid. There was a yeah. bridge. There there yeah. was a moment where him and I could have could have come out of it friends. And then it was interrupted by out and out bigotry and and racism. And it, and it, and it, it's just the enemy of our souls, you know, right. Um, not wanting that to happen. And, you know, we end up, we end up being locked into a vicious cycle. You know, I do something to you and then, um, you retaliate. And then, um, he just wants us to be divided. You know, and he doesn't care how we're divided, as long as we're divided. And so, um, you know, people people either throw throw fire on that and make it worse, mm-hmm. or they do things that make it better. And it's easy to see who's who. <laughs> not diff- not yeah, not difficult. Yeah, difficult to see right. who's making it worse and who's making it better. Yeah.
0: You know we um, and the other thing that strikes me is you know. Your experience is not. I mean, to those like you probably had a lot of other friends, relatives, people in your neighborhood who experienced the same or worse. Right. I mean, and at those young ages, even at I mean all ages. I mean that that's just you know. And we talk about now, we, we you know, always talk about, we're starting to understand about different kinds of trauma and, like, things that happen to us and, and when we're young. And I can't imagine, like, again, like, I mean, I, I just, I've had an easy life, you know. I mean, to be honest with you, and a lot of it, again, I recognize that all everything that all, all of us have, all, obviously, you know, is always built on, like, what people did before us but now like I, especially at this time i try i find myself thinking like well what like i have to, i'm not with my kids right now yeah. and i want to talk to them about what's happening sure you do. but i also understand that like i don't i i i don't have the same experience as many other other people and i want to be able to talk to these guys about it so that's one of the things i really we've always talked like this but you know sometimes just as friends i i see it not as an isolated thing but oh man rob rob uh shared this about his life with me but never not always thinking not always thinking how many more people have experienced similar things and when I see like who you are now. Right. I mean, like who you know, and the type of person where you like always, I mean, I know you guys love to give us hard, be a hard time with the sports, but <laughs> outside of that, you're always loving on people and looking at I mean, even when I get mad at somebody or something, you're always challenging me to look at it in a different right. light. And in in that for someone who has been through what you've been through and now seeing what's happening now, like, what is the light? Like, you know I mean? Not what's the answer, but when you see these, whether it's protests and rioting or like with things that turn violent and you talk about, you know, people not hearing the language or hearing what's being said or, or when the right time is to say things, like how do you, With your perspective now of love and acceptance, but also knowing what what you know and what you've experienced and what you you can identify with other people, what they're experiencing, like what's your what do what's our what's our pathway now for you when you think about that to whether that's reconciliation, whether it's justice, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, the the answer doesn't change. I mean, um, you know, we, we. when we look at the word and we know who God is, I mean, first of all, let me say personally, for me, there are several things. One, um, when I, when I went to college and I started getting around white people, I started realizing that not all white people were like the ones I had run into. Um, you know, I started, I started running into some Northern white. And some white people from other areas who didn't act like the white people that I had run into, and they were different. And so, I started having to adjust my opinion of who white people were, and you know that I couldn't lump them all in one basket. Um, and so I, I, I think part of the problem is we we aren't around each other enough. To get to know mm. each other, so you have people making observations about black people who have never been around black people, right? You know, or they've been around black people in only in situations that have been that have met their expectation. You know what I mean?
1: So, yes. Um,
2: you know, the, and the second thing, and I think the most important thing is, um, of course, I I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and Um, spiritually that changed the direction of my eyesight and my heart and my viewpoint and even those who are against me now I look at them, even if they hate me I look at them from the viewpoint of there's an enemy who has blinded them so they, they can't see me for who I am they see me through a filter of hate and so I don't right. want to look at them through that filter. I want to look at them the way God sees them, and He sees them right. as someone I should have compassion on, um, not that I should look at them and, and, and not um, and, and not take steps to make sure that they don't hurt me or my family. Right. But, um, at the same time, I should be looking for a way to build a bridge that will cause them to change their thinking, especially as it, as it pertains to Christ and especially as it pertains to reconciliation. Um, and so those things should be foremost in my mind um, and definitely not hatred. And I think the best examples we see of that ki- of that kind of thinking Especially in the Bible, there are passages that tell us the keys. One is, a soft answer turns away wrath. If I have somebody calling me names, and I'm calling names back, then that's, that's pouring fire on the situation. <clears throat> but if I'm trying to speak wisdom, and I'm trying to speak it in a calm way, um, that might de-escalate the situation. One of the most poignant things I saw, was a group of protesters um, and some of them were kneeling and then the policemen began to kneel too and i think this was in atlanta and when the policemen kneeled down the rest of the protesters kneeled down the rest of the policemen kneeled down and that whole thing became a peaceful calm protest with no looting no violence no arrest um you know the bible has answers we just have to use
0: them you know Yeah I, I think that you know you had mentioned to me before and I and I agree with you like you know that's definitely you know building bridges and you know like a you know, soft answer turns away right? I mean the way you explained that and you know but is you explained to me before you know when you were younger like there was also this kind of expectation like if you didn't react a certain way to something then like your friends or things people around you didn't think you were doing something right like if you didn't you know beat a guy or throw punches or if you didn't if someone said something you didn't stand up How, how do we um how do we fight that with you know where people think like man hey because they did that to me I got to do it you right. know you know and and I mean that becomes really like you know we sometimes we take on that that uh um uh, I don't know what you want to call it but like you know hey he says something about my mom's or he says that, you know man, I got to do something you know I got you, you know and, but nothing physical is happening but these words you, you know then oh man I'm less of a man if I don't react this well, way well, in among my well,
2: peers I believe pride really- I believe then you're letting the environment um, I believe right then you're letting the environment and you're letting others dictate who you are. That's um, right. And okay. and you can't do that in any situation. You you have to right. determine before you get into a situation who you are. I think that is the most important question that you have to settle about yourself. Who am I? Right. And then part of part of having integrity is that you then let that determine how you, how you handle the situation, no matter what situation you find yourself in. Uh, who am yeah. I? And, and that determines how I react. That determines how I respond. Is this in alignment with who I am? And if I say I'm a Christian, if I say I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit, if I say God is the most important person in my life, then that has to dictate how I respond. And if, right. if that's if that's more important to me than how I look, right. then that's gonna be the overriding thing. Now that doesn't mean that I let somebody beat me to a pulp. And I think that's what mm-hmm. part of your jujitsu classes <laughs> and things <laughs> like that are about. I can I can defend myself, you know, without without going out of my way to hurt someone. You know what I mean? But
0: yes. But at the yes. same
2: time, even in doing that, I can try to get to a point where someone realizes they don't they don't want to fight me and hey, let's end this. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cuz I you know, those are just some of the the things that we hear and again, like you said if you don't know who you are, it's kind of like you can be swayed like, oh yeah, that does sound right. That does sound right, man. You can't let people, you know, do this and that. And and I mean, yeah, I mean, man, you know, we had. It's funny because we had, uh, you know, a lot of these discussions. And and again, I I really appreciate you coming on here because, like you said, I mean, I'll be honest. Like when you go, oh, some people aren't. A- we aren't around each other enough, right? right? Like, like if you, you know, we have all like a million friends on Facebook, right? And you're like, you're you're not really my friend. Not that I'm not friendly to you or I don't respect you or something, but do we eat together? Right. Do we talk about real stuff in life? You know, do we give each other a hard time? You know what I mean? Like, that's what we, you and I consider friends. And if I'm saying like, you know, I've been, I've had a lot of like black teammates, You know, I've had, uh, uh, you know, people that, you know, during school I'm close to and things like that. But, like, in my life right now, like, I mean, you're someone who is black, who's grown up in America, that is someone I consider a mentor, someone that I know cares for me and things like that. So, of course, I'm going to talk to you to get that, you know, because I know we're friends, we're close you know, and I don't, you know, a lot of people don't have that, and the other side is, I wanted to ask you, you do a lot of work in um, South Africa, and, you know, I I was online the other day, and um, I had, I had read, uh, there was a basketball player here in the Philippines, and he's, he's from, I think he's from Cameroon or something, and some other guys from Africa were talking, he was like, trying to um share voices opinion on what's happening in uh racism in america and there was some uh um other um guys from africa who were commenting like you know they didn't really understand it you know they they and and they were just like yo man those guys just come back here man people will gonna love you here like these you know and they just didn't get it they, you know and i didn't i i i didn't go deep enough and i don't know anybody from africa as a what friend you, wait wait what do you but, mean why don't we
2: just go back to africa
0: no i mean there was guys saying like they're gonna hate them there the The american blacks he said they're gonna hate them there and they, that's what this guy was saying he, the, uh, the guy who i followed didn't agree with it but this is what he would say why do you post something for these guys they should just come here where they're loved and where we'll, you know, that was his, I don't know if that's true. I don't know any of African people, but that's what he was saying. He's like, they're not going to be accepted there. Just let them come here and we can invest in Africa, you know? And then they, you know, the the conversation started talking about a lot of uh, black Americans or people from Africa have gone to America who are investing in Africa, you know, and that's where the conversation went. But I thought it was so interesting. I was like, wow, that's, I never heard anything like that. Where like an, like the, it didn't seem. And again, this is online, yeah. okay. So it didn't seem that this person from Africa had, and he said it actually that he didn't really sympathize with um, African Americans because he was like he he didn't think that it would ever change. They should just come back here. That I mean, you know, I I never heard anything said like that before, um, and you have been in africa a lot i don't know what is the i mean i don't know rob what do you think about that and, and with your work in in south africa where there has been like a long history of like the apartheid and you know segregation i mean how has that kind of impacted you being over there and being in africa and then i mean i don't know if you want to respond to like what that I read I don't I know if I did it justice, but that's kinda just took me aback when I had read that that post.
2: Yeah. Uh it it varies. Um you know, I've I've talked to Africans who who really don't have a high regard for African Americans. And it, it was surprising. Um but but they don't. Um and for various reasons. Um and then there are those who do. There are those who There are those who do have a regard for the struggle that we've been through and do see value um, in us as people. Um, Mm -hmm. But you got to understand that um, Africans have a slanted view of African-Americans in the same way that Americans have a slanted view of Africans. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't have a a true view of Africans. Um, we have right. a view that's been based on what we see on TV. Um, right. If you go to Africa, man, it is, first of all, a huge continent. It is, it is the biggest continent in the world. Um, you know, just in, in terms of, uh, you know, it, you, can, you can fit, I think the last map I looked at, you can fit Brazil, the United States. Um, all of Europe, um, China, you can fit uh, all these nations in the continent of Africa. You know, wow. Uh, and, and people don't realize that because the, the world map that you see, the African continent has been shrunk to make <clears throat> it more, I don't know, appealing to, to Western sensibilities, the actual land okay. mass of the continent is huge, so we don't we don't have a a true idea of what that continent is like. First of all, it is hmm. it is wealthy beyond imagining, which is why a lot of nations still go in to take from it. As people are vastly different depending on where you are. You can go to South Africa, and parts of it are just as urban and forward, uh, progressive as any other city that you want to visit in the world. Um, you know, you can go, and and of course you can go to places where there's wildlife, like you see on National Geographic. But within that extreme, there is everything in between. Towns, cities, villages. Um, it's just a vast continent, man, that you can't, you you can't get your head around and you can't group it into one monolithic thing. You know what I'm saying?
1: Right. You say yeah, Africa. It's,
2: it's like the Philippines. <laughs> the
1: yeah, I just googled it and it ju- it shows a picture of all these different uh, countries that fit into um, Africa. <laughs> it's crazy. United States, Eastern Europe, India, China, Portugal, Spain, France. Yeah. Yes.
2: So. So the 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 thing is, it, but go so go ahead, Rob. But, but what I was getting ready to say is just like, and and you know, people have an idea about the Philippines and what it is. But you have everything from Manila to Cebu to little villages to mountain areas to, you know, the areas in the south and what they're like and and jungle areas and. I mean, the Philippines can't... They're, they're not one particular thing, and you have all kinds of different people with all kinds of different ideas. So right. um, I could give you... You could have a million different ideas as far as Africans and what they think about African-Americans. But I think the prevailing idea is that we're connected, but we're not. You know what I mean, They Yes. They kind of look at us as other. And... Um, Because we came to this country 400 years ago, um, you know, they they look at us as detached. We're more Americans than we are Africans. Right. um, That's how Africans look at us. And,
0: you know, you talked about bridges and you talk about that a lot, you know. And when you, uh, going back to, like, what you experienced working in, in South Africa, I mean are there things that you think that we can take that they did well? Or like, I mean, I like just even for me personally, like to, to some guys like me and Micah, how we, I don't know, like change a perspective or add to like, you know, how we approach things. I mean, just in, in, in the sense of when you talk about building bridges, I mean, are there things from that experience as well as, you know, your experience here in the U S that, um, you could share or that would you know help us in uh building bridges
2: yeah i i I think a huge part of it is listening um to the people that you're trying to reach um and and it's definitely taking an interest and in finding out about where you're at I mean, I, 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 one of the things I admire about you, John, is that you have immersed yourself in the Philippines. Um, you know, you haven't, you haven't just gone over there, spent you know, a week or two and then come home. Um, you, have, you have immersed yourself in that culture. And so, you know, that, and, and I know you have found that that brings you to a whole different level of understanding um, when it comes to being a bridge builder um you know I, I you know the term walk a mile in someone's shoes um or in your case someone's flip-flops <laughs> so that, that takes a whole different um that, that takes you to a whole different level um but I, I, I think when i think when people can have a sense of um hey this person is valuable and their yeah. experience is valuable, and I'm willing to listen to their experience and try to learn from it, instead of the mentality that says, hey, I have the answers, I know um, what you need, and so um, you need to listen to me. Um, that type of mentality can, can get you into a place where um, even if you have the answer for them, you're not going to deliver it in a way that's going to help them um you're going to deliver it in in a in a colonial way that's going to make them uh you know just your clone you know what i mean yeah and then they can't be authentic to who they are
1: rob so i wanted to ask you a question uh, just to backtrack with john uh you know with his son and just how to speak to him about these situations and how to um, you know, just kind of prepare him as he moves along uh, in uh, teenage years and uh, as, as a young adult and um, being aware of what's going on now. And also, like you, um, we've said, bridge um, the gap so that th- there's a better understanding of everything. And how we can be better as a um, as a whole yes
2: I, I, well one thing anytime you're talking to um, young people um, i think it's best to to not um shield them from everything
0: mm, okay
2: um what i mean is that a lot of times and i, and I think this is why sometimes um white kids are are unprepared to deal with racism and and don't want to deal with it is because their parents shield them from the conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Whereas with with black kids, we get we get the conversation very early in life. Um, Hmm. And so I I think part of it is having the conversation Um, and the other thing is, I think you have to be authentic about what's going on out there. In other words, um, I don't think you, I don't think you minimize um, what's wrong about mm-hmm. some of the things that are happening. I think you do say, you do speak truth and say, hey, you know, it is wrong. No matter how much someone does something to you, it is wrong to respond. With violence, it is wrong to respond um, with breaking the law, with uh, with burning and with looting. Those things are not right to do. But at the same time, you can you can talk to your your young child and explain that um, uh, explain the history to them. I would introduce them to books um, mm-hmm. that explain the black experience. Um, and and in ways that um, that would help them, especially in their teenage years. These are things that read uh-huh. that would be good for them to read, and uh, and and maybe show them some, uh, introduce them to some ideas, and and introduce them to some history that would be good for them to know. Um, also, from their own experience, I know there are some books that. Are, have been written about um, Filipino history and, uh, and, you know, that's part of their heritage. And I think sometimes we shy away from that, you know, Uh, but I think, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good thing to know. I think it's a good thing to know.
0: Right. You know, one of the things you were, you know, talking about, so with some of my friends here, we, you know, who, you know, you know, Jojo, you know, and, uh, we're just, we talk a lot about everything and we talk a lot about like, you know, during this pandemic time, you know, there's put a lot of pressure on, you know, I don't know. What it's like in other countries. I just know what it's like us and, and here. And one of the things here that we see is this, um, that I, I was kind of, you know, people here also don't understand, you know, the. Uh, What's happening in the U.S., especially from the perspective of, like, you know, the black experience, you know. Right. And I, I was trying to tell them, like, you know, what they understand is, because here, instead of racism, it's really kind of like classism. Right. You know? right. There's uh, yeah. the rich and the poor. Right. The land. People have land. People don't. And right. um, there's, I don't know if it's regionalism. You know, there's that. We're like, oh, you're from there. You guys don't know nothing. Right. You know your country right. or whatever it is, right? And um, those are the things that that they deal with. And then they're they're the the idea of like how their government treats the poor, yes, how they treat the rich and things like. That. So it's not exactly the same, but I was making some some parallels as best I could, you know. But it's just so that's the thing that's going on here. Yes. It, and and then the whole uh, um, threat, because they've been through martial law before. They've been through dictatorship before, yeah. you know. And and the fear of, like, hey, man, there a lot of things are happening. And, you know, we're stuck in this COVID thing. And then bills are getting passed that people are in Congress that people oh, yeah. are like, hey, wait a minute.
2: Wait, what's going on here? That's not –
0: you, you know it doesn't,
2: that doesn't sound like the land of the free and the home of the brave yeah you know yeah.
0: and so it's very um you know people have questions about these things but a lot I, the parallels that i see um are that not everybody we just so many people both here and there don't have a desire to really dig deeper or get educated it's like ah that's for these guys. That's right. for these guys to understand. It. And I mean, I'm I'm guilty of that in many ways. Yes. You know, I'm guilty of that. You know, as all these things happening, and 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 I'm watching the protests. I'm thinking like, well, what am I doing? I always would say, well, this is my area. This is what I do. And and I'm not. And yes. I'm just thinking like, well, how am I going to evolve too? Because things are changing. And like, what is it? How am I going to use whatever right. I have to to speak up? And I didn't know how to make a. A post or this, or I didn't know it was effective. I that's why I wanted to talk to you, Rob, you know, and get me and Mike because me and Mike have been talking about this stuff, and you know, and you know, it, it's it, but that's the parallels I see is not everybody wants to even speak on what they don't know or what they don't understand sure. so that they might understand. And so, right. I mean, that that's one of the hopes that I had of you know, having you come on here and just we could you know, talk like we'd normally do, and hey, if somebody. I know I'm getting a lot out of this and if if somebody else can when they listen to us our 20 loyal listeners
2: <laughs> <laughs> No man I I I hear you and you know like I guess underlying everything we we have to have as our as our compass what God has to say on the subject you know at right. the end of the, at the end of the day you know and right. and, that, and that is that at the bottom line we treat people the way we want to be treated, you know, and, and and that we love people, you know, um, that's the bottom line, man, no matter what, um, you know, that if you, if you look at someone hurting, you look at someone who's, who's, um, who's being persecuted, um, you look at someone who's not being treated fairly, you'd have compassion for that person. And, um, and it doesn't matter whether it's an African American um, in the United States, if it's a poor person in the Philippines, um, if it's a rich person who's misunderstood, because they have problems too, you know. Right. Um, no matter who it is, um, they need the love of God, and they need you to be an ambassador of that love, you know. So, bottom line, and, and this goes back to what you were asking me, Mikey. Um, you know. It, you, you try to educate your kids and talk to your kids and give them the information. But at the end of the day, you also say, hey, you know, um, you have to respond the way God, um, way the Holy Spirit instructs us to respond. And that's the most important thing. That's the thing that we wanna leave people with is thats that, is that they've, they've encountered God through us. And so- uh, right. I would say that's that's the overall thing, man. But, um, you know, in terms of us standing up, you know, you know, my main my main thing to um, people of other races, when it comes to African, me being an African American, I just want people to stand up, man. I, I just want people when they hear someone say something um, that's derogatory. And they know it's not true because they know me, um, or they know someone else. To have the courage to say, you know what, that's not true. You know, all yeah. all black people aren't like that, or black people aren't like that. You know, right. I, mean? I, I just want people to start speaking um, truth to power, or speaking truth to lies. You know, that's all I want, man. You know, you don't have to go protest. You know, you don't have to write a letter to your congressman. You know, I, I'm not I'm not asking for that. I'm just asking for people to just to, to, to stand up and speak out. You know, that's my, yeah. that's my that's the main thing I ask people to do. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. Yep,
2: yeah. because when I hear people say things about Filipinos that I know aren't true, I speak out, man. Mm-hmm. I say you know what I got Filipino friends, man, and you know they aren't all after your jobs, okay? You know I, <laughs> you know, I say that, you know, and um, you know I I just I speak truth, you know. I, I say, hey, look, they're coming to this country looking for opportunities just like everyone else, and they're hardworking people. They love their families, and um, and they love karaoke, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah man. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Well yeah man. I I think like you said, you know, we you know, what what the word says, you know, you know treat people how you want to be treated and and I think like what you said too before like knowing who you are, Rob, like that's part of it too, you know. It's like, you know, knowing that if you don't it's hard to value other people if you don't have that value for yourself.
2: Right right i you know i you know it's a two-way street i don't i have i have uh i have family that's black man and i when they say wrong things about white people you know i I tell them i say hey look dude all white people aren't like that and you can't you can't you can't paint white people with that broad brush you know because it's not true especially me being married to a white woman you know Yeah, I can't let that fly, you know? So I think if we all speak truth and we all are honest, um, you know, even, even with the, you know, the experiences that we have, you know, but, but if we're honest with each other and truthful, you know, then, then I, I, I think, you know, godly principles win. And, uh, and that, that's, that's where I come down on it, man. I, There hasn't been a nation that I've been to where I haven't seen that we're more alike than we are different. And um, all parents love their kids. Everyone wants a better life for their kids than they had. Um, Most people, no matter who they are, um, want a peaceful life. They want joy. And, um, you know, they want to live a life without... um, having to worry about where their next meal is coming from and uh and the safety of the of their loved ones, you know.
0: But yeah man. man Rob, uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Um man, thank you for taking the time to uh, you know, be on this. Thank you. Uh I know that, you know, you you got a lot going on, um, you know. And shoot, we didn't even talk about like what you do and all those kinds of things. But I appreciate uh-huh. you. Hope we can come on again. We can uh, talk about some more stuff. Anytime,
2: um, I, I would I would be happy anytime to come on and talk to you about why the Warriors are going to be better than the Lakers next year.
0: Uh, oh my <laughs> gosh! Oh my gosh! Hey. This is going to be the most important championship ever. When we win this, the COVID championship, all right? It's going to Uh, happen, Uncle Rob, Uncle Harris. You mean when the Clippers win? No, 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 sir. (laughs) Clippers going bring eating. LA.
1: It's gonna bring LA together. And the Clippers, <laughs> oh,
0: that gonna no, happen. Never, that bridge will never be. <laughs> hey, listen. The Clippers been eating Cheetos. They're getting fat. LeBron's been working <laughs> out, man. I seen it. All right. Don't worry. We're gonna be all right. <laughs> oh man, that's the thing. Gosh. Yeah. But, ne- next, yeah.
2: next year when we get Giannis.
0: See, I knew that was gonna come up because all <laughs> these warrior guys start posting <laughs> these things. They're like, "This is what we're really trying to do. We're getting ready, you know." And I'm like, "Oh man,
2: come on, man!" Next uh, year when we get Giannis, it's gonna be all over. <laughs>
0: we'll see, we'll see. But hey, you know, I'm stuck here right now in the Philippines, you know, and and A-brainer I'm, hoping to, you, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. hoping to get home. Yeah, please, I'm I'm hoping to get home sometime in the you know next hopefully 10 12 days or something like that but yeah. we got to get together Rob we come and we could do this from your house man just you know hang out um and, there, and you know flights, do it again are
2: there flights out
0: of now? Well uh there've been uh like these special flights that have been bringing in like o- overseas workers
2: Yeah
0: you know and so um I'm seeing if we if they don't open up next week if somehow i can get on one of the cuz you know you got to fly here and then they got to fly back to manila yeah, so i don't know go. who's on those flights yeah so i mean you know it it's like each time it's become more uh each time they they announce that they're not having flights it you know it makes me go more and more towards that kind of like emergency special route and hey, so actually they, today
2: hey do they have do they have ships that that sail
0: well, they're not supposed to have that. That's also on a ban. Okay. So, like the the um the ships to they're having only cargo. Got. Gotcha. But yeah, there are like passenger ships that you can take to Manila and stuff. So yeah, man. I'm actually, right now I'm gonna go uh um do some of my travel documents because they gotta process some. I think some health things if you're gonna leave on one of these special flights. You know to make sure you don't have the disease or the virus or something like that. So. Yeah, that's what that's my that's what my day looks like. You know, I'm just getting started. You guys are wrapping it up over there. So, all right, man. All right, all right,
2: Rob. Pleasure meeting you. You too, Mikey. You take care, man. Yeah. All
0: right, we'll talk again. All right, buhai 2 N2L, guys. Talk to you soon. Later, bro.